0: How many of you, uh, and I'm asking for a reason, uh, had a chance to watch our television program at 6.30 this morning? How many of you had a chance to watch it? Good many of you. A lot of you tape it and watch it later. It was the last part of the service when I had preached on government and uh, just laws and unjust laws. And then at the end, uh, we had divided it into two programs. And at the end, Ed... uh, Let us in singing, Lord, have mercy. And uh, he sang through it. And uh, I I said, I sensed as he was singing, Lord, have mercy. uh, I went into the den and just knelt uh, there close to the television. And I'm going to tell you what happened today. I don't know how to manifest itself. But as Ed was singing, Lord, have mercy, there there are hundreds, thousands of people that watch our program. One guy stopped me in Cracker Barrel this last week and uh, said, uh, I had 38 people in my home and showed them the video of uh, your service on, on the nation. I said, my goodness. But I believe as we sang, Lord, have mercy, I believe the Spirit of God did something. You say, what, Brother Fred? I don't know. But I'm convinced that something went out across this area. As we as a church just cried out together, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And I believe the Spirit of God spoke to people. And they realized how much that we need. We've always needed it. But we realize more now how much we need the mercy of God. And so I rejoice and praise God for that. Recently I was talking to someone and they said, you know, I just feel like that I I need to be doing more for the Lord. And of course they realize that it's God working through them. I just... I feel kind of frustrated. I just feel like there's more that God wants me to do. I feel like there's more that, that somehow God wants me to, to be involved in in these critical days. And this verse came to my mind. And I had it, I thought it was something that Jesus said to the disciples. But it wasn't, it's what he spoke to, to the lady who anointed him with oil. In the house of Simon the leper. Jesus said of that lady. She has done. What she could. And I looked at this uh, individual. I said you know. That's a good word for you. You just do. What you can. She has done. What she could. Now I'm going to read that scripture in a moment. But that got into my spirit and I got to thinking, what if everybody would do under the directions of what they can do? Not what I can do, but what if everybody would do what they can do? Well, Thursday, I still hadn't, didn't have it settled in my spirit. But boy, Thursday, God just led me to an article that is just like, just stirred my spirit, and it still stirs my spirit. In in the Baptist paper that goes out in Alabama called Alabama Baptist, there's a section called Heroes of the Faith. And in this one, they were celebrating the 100th year anniversary of Fanny Crosby. Now, I have the article in my hand. I'm not going to read it. But she was born in 1820. Lived to 1915. She wrote over 8,000 hymns. When she was 15 weeks old, or 15 months old, I think it was 15 weeks old. No, at six weeks. She got a cold and her eyes got inflamed. And a doctor back then, this is when the 1800s or 1900s, didn't know what he was doing. He put mustard poultices on her eyes. And it blinded her. And she was blind for the rest of her life. At 15, she went to the school for the blind. But here's the thing. Now, she didn't get saved till she was 30. Fanny Crosby didn't get saved till she was 30. But at 15, her mother and grandmother, her father died, were such godly people that they had just, even though she couldn't read, had taught her the scripture. <laughs> and by 15, she had memorized and could recite the Pentateuch. Now, in case you don't know what that is, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. She could recite it from memory. And she could, she could write, uh, recite all the Gospels from memory. Proverbs, Solomon, and many of the Psalms. Well, she went, and, and after she graduated, became a, a the school. By, she became a cool school teacher and began an advocate for the uh, for for the uh, blind, and she was the first woman ever to speak before the U.S. Senate. In, In 1943, she became the first woman to ever speak before the Senate. And then three years later, she spoke before all of Congress. But then at 30, listen to this. In November 20th, 1850, during a revival meeting, the congregation sang, Lord, I give myself to Thee. And Fanny Crosby said, "My very soul," she said later, "was flooded with celestial light." Shy Crosby sprang to her feet and shouted, "Hallelujah!" And that was her glorious salvation. In 1860, she be- began to write hymns. We we sing them all the time. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine! Air of salvation purchased by. She wrote Blessed Assurance. She wrote, to God be the glory. She wrote, praise him, praise him. Jesus, my blessed redeemer. She wrote, Jesus is tenderly calling today, calling today, calling today. She wrote, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Most of the songs that we have in in the hymn books or we sing was written by Fanny Crawford. She wrote over 8,000. Well, you know what she did? The last two decades, or 20 or 30 years of her life, she moved to the slums, the worst slums in New York City, rented an apartment, and spent, until she got so ill, she could spend all of her time ministering to the poor. Back then, she'd get a dollar for each hymn that she wrote and gave in. That's about 20 dollars today. She took all that money and ministered to the poor. And, and by the not early in 1900, she was one of the most famous people in America. Well, when she died, I want you to listen to what she did. At the request at her request, her family erected a small tombstone with the words. Ain't Fanny, and then you know what she had? She has done what she could. Wow. I just, I had a spell, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I just said, praise God. This woman, blind, but you know, we could just talk about all she, but you know, she did what she could. And I said to myself, oh, God, you're not going to expect me to do anything I can't do. But I really believe you expect me to do what I can. And over in Mark chapter uh, 14, let's read about the lady that Jesus spoke this of. It's Mark chapter 14, verse 3 through 9. And this is when uh, he, he was anointed by... Uh, Mary Magdalene, I believe it was, doesn't use her name. But he said to him, her for her for his burial. And I'm going to start reading in verse 3 of Mark 14. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster box of very costly olive spikenard. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. So she comes in, breaks it, and just pours it, just perfume. I I imagine it was the odor of that perfume just filled that whole house. She poured that perfume on his head. Over in Luke, there's another story, and I, I think it was probably still Mary Magdalene. I'm not sure, but came and stood behind Jesus and anointed him with oil and then anointed his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And Jesus said, she did this because she loves me much, because she was such a sinner. But in this one, we go on and read here, it says, uh, she broke the flask and poured it on his head, verse 4. There were some who were indignant among themselves and said, why was this fragrant all wasted? It might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. Whenever you wish, you can do them good. But you do not have me physically with you always. She has done, in verse 8, she's done what she could. Well, that was a statement for Jesus to say. She's done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be a memorial to her. Now, I want you to think about this. He said, he's anointed her for my burial. It wasn't long after that, wasn't long after that, that Jesus had to go before Pilate. And don't you know that perfume that that woman had anointed Jesus with was still an aroma coming off of him. Can you imagine as he before the Sanhedrin, the perfume was still coming from him? Do you imagine when they beat him with thirty nine stripes and to the point that he was disfigured? Don't you know that perfume that she poured on him was still an aroma that just came forth from her body? They probably said, Well what is that? Where did that come from? Oh, there was a lady Who came? They said she was an awful sinner. But Jesus changed her life and forgave her. And she came and she broke this. But it was really expensive perfume. About a year's wages. She poured it on his head. She did what she could. And everywhere Jesus went, all the way to the cross and all the way to Joseph's tomb, the perfume of a woman. Who did what she could. Came from the body of Jesus. I got to thinking. Are there any people in the Bible. That just did what they could. You know they're not famous like Peter or John. Or, or some others. John the Baptist. Were there those? We don't even know their names. And what they did at the time. May not have seemed spectacular. But. It's recorded in the word of God. They did what they could. Turn to the second chapter of Mark. I I got two people I want to show you. And then I want to tell you what you can do. In Mark chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5. Guess what? We got four men. I don't know their names. But they're unusual men. And, And let's just read. It's just five verses. Let's just read now, here were four men who did what they could. It says, and when he entered Capernaum after some days, it was heard that he was in the house. And immediately many, many gathered together, so there was no longer room to receive him, not even the door, and he preached the word. Hey, can I stop here just a minute and tell you, if Jesus ever gets in a church building and is there in power, when Jesus ever gets in a house, it's not long till that house is full. Because people want to be where Jesus is, where the Spirit of Jesus is, and naturally, they were standing outside. Because who wouldn't want to be in the presence of the Son of God? And it says here, immediately men many me to gathered together in verse two, and there was no longer room to receive them, not even the door. And he preached the word to them. I'm so glad Jesus did entertain them. You know what he did? He preached the word of God to them. Hallelujah. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And I kind of got a picture. I don't know who these men were. But they heard that Jesus was in this house. And they knew Jesus had the power to heal. And so they said, but you know, what about our friend here? There's no way he can go. One of them said, well, let's just put him on a stretcher. Let's take him over there. They said, well, you know, that's going to be kind of inconvenient. We're going to have trouble getting in anyway. I said, well, wait a minute. Come on now. We're talking about a man's life and eventually his eternal soul. Listen, let, let's, let's, let's take him. So those four men, one on one corner, one on the other, one on one corner, they just picked him up. I'm glad they didn't debate who, what corner they were going to be on, aren't you? I mean, I'm glad they didn't. One was a Baptist, one was a Methodist. I want the front corner, you have the back corner. No, I wasn't it at all. They didn't debate who was going to have what corner. Just said they picked him up. And by the way, they had compassion. Dear God, we need to have compassion on people. But for the grace of God, you put yourself in their place, okay? That compassion on him. But you know they were full of faith. You know why I know that? They got to the house. They couldn't get in. You know the story. And so what they did, they, they put a ladder up to the flat roof and opened the roof and let the man. Now listen, most people would say, man, we can't even get in. How in the world are we going to get through that crowd with the man on a stretcher and get him to Jesus? It's impossible. no. They just knew they were on assignment. They were doing what they could. So they opened the roof. You go on and read. It says, Then they came to him bringing a paralytic born by four. And they could not come near him because of the crowd. They uncovered the roof where he was. So that when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, It wasn't the faith of the man. Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. He said, son, he spoke to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus knew this man's greatest need was not to be healed physically. He knew his greatest need was to be healed spiritually. He could get healed physically and end up in hell, but he'd get healed spiritually and end up in heaven. You know, I thought about these four men. When Jesus saw their faith, you know what they do, did? They did what they could. I, I'm thinking of an individual in a church that I pastored who befriended a neighbor and just did so many things just to love and care for that neighbor. And soon that neighbor started coming to church with him. In fact, they would ride with this individual at times, just ride with them. One day, it, I looked up and that that person was in the altar, said, "I need to be saved." You know that lady, you don't know her name? But I' tell you what, she did what she could. She did what she could. And you know, I want you to know God saw it," and said, "You know, <laughs> she did what she could, you know, and, and I thought about these four men, but then the main one I want to show you about, and then show you how this applies to us is the man who brought his son to Jesus. And I want you to turn over in your Bible to Mark chapter nine, I believe it is. And, and I want you to see, uh, about the man who brought his son to Jesus, Mark nine seventeen, And this man did what he could. Uh, He did what he could. He tried other things, but he did in this situation what he could. He brought his son to Jesus. So in 917, follow me. There's a great lesson for us here, a great message for us in this that I'm going to show you in a moment. It says here, then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, Jesus came. He'd been on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had shined like the sun. The glory of God had been on him. ...on that Mount of Transfiguration. He'd come down off of the mountain. There was a crowd and they were discussing things. And Jesus walked over and said, what's going on? And the story goes on, it says, then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son... ...who had a deaf or mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples... And they could, that they should cast it out, but they could not. That's, that, that's the first time I've seen the disciples where they didn't have any power. I said, I, I took you, him to your disciples since you were, weren't here. And, and, and they couldn't cast the, the spirit out of him. And he answered, in verse 19, he answered and said, oh, faithless generation, how, how long shall I be, be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Now this father, let me tell you what he did with his son. He did what he could. There are a lot of things he couldn't do, but he could do this. So he brought his son to where Jesus was. He did what he could, okay? Then he brought him. To, to, then they, they, they brought him to him, and when he saw him, the little boy or the son, Immediately, the spirit convulsed him. He fell on the ground, wallowing, foaming at the mouth. And his father, so we asked his father, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And often he has thrown himself into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But now listen to what he told Jesus. But if you can do anything, he must have believed Jesus could because he wouldn't have gone to all... That he went through to get him to Jesus. But he said, I, I just say, Lord, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. But then Jesus turns it on him. Look at verse 23. This is for you. He said, if you can believe, it's not what I can do. It's whether or not you can believe. All right, now listen to me. There's some of you right out here. You say, well, Jesus, where are you? You know what I need in my life. You seem to be silent. What's the problem? Is there anything you can do for me? Jesus said, if you can believe. It's not what I can do. It's whether or not you can believe. And I want to tell you something. It's not easy to believe. Circumstances cry out. It'll never happen. Discouragers around you say it'll never be. The word that you get is always doom and gloom. And you say, well, man, is it possible? But Jesus said, if you can believe, well, that's a that mouthful, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the, of the child cried out, this is, going, this is for us in a few moments, immediately the father of the child cried out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, he was struggling. You know why? He had watched that boy convulse, fall, almost in the fire. He had watched him time after time after time. And obviously there was something in him that gave him hope about Jesus. And and and, and when Jesus said, it's not what I can do if you can believe all things are possible. And many, with all that he could, he said, well, Lord, I believe, but I'm struggling. Lord, help my unbelief. That's exactly where some of you are. You need for God to move a mountain in your life. We need for God to move some mountains in this nation. There are things that we need for God desperately to do. And you know, the Lord says, all things are possible if you can believe. And then we say, "Oh God," we look at all that. We look at our circumstances. We look at the situation we're facing, and all we can say to you is, "Oh God," we believe. We believe. Help our unbelief. When Jesus saw that at the people, uh, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit in verse twenty-five, saying. Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said he is dead. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and arose, and when he came into this house, the disciples, now get this, this is for us. They asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? Verse 29. Jesus said, This kind cannot come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Jesus said, this is just one of those deals that uh, it's such a strong thing, such a stronghold. That spirit had such a grip on him. He said, you just don't go up and tell that devil to leave. He said, you're going to have to pray and you're going to have to fast. And then when you pray and fast, he'll come out. But he said, this kind does not come out, but by prayer and fasting. You know, that father did what he could. And he found the disciples learned a lesson. That there's some mountains they're going to face that unless they pray and fast, they're not going to come down. And it's like Jesus is saying, hey, what you're facing in America and some of what you're facing in your life, it's not coming out unless you pray and unless you fast. Now, he went a little bit further with the disciples and told them why they couldn't do it. There's another account of this same story, and it's over in uh, Matthew chapter 17, verses 18 through 21. Now, I want you to get this because I'm I'm, going to jump right on in to what you can do. Matthew 18, excuse me, Matthew 17, verses uh, 19 through 21. All right, now listen. All right. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately. Why could we not cast him out? Listen to what Jesus said. Because of your unbelief. Oh. Oh. He had told them earlier, because you you hadn't been praying and fasting, he said, but let me tell you why you couldn't do it. You were full of unbelief. You didn't think you could do it. You you saw that spirit. He'd had it since he was a child. You said, hey, we'll try, but it ain't going to work. We're going to pray, but nothing's going to happen. We're going to pray, and the Supreme Court won't change. We're going to pray, and revival won't come to the church. Hey, that's called unbelief. Did you know that? That's called unbelief. So Jesus said then, because of your unbelief, assuredly I say to you, I love this, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, that demon, be cast, be moved from here, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible with God. He said, if you believe you can address the mountain and God will move the mountain, you can't move it, but God will move it. And then he said again, though, however... This kind doesn't go out, but by prayer and fasting. Now, here's where we are. I want to ask you a question. What can you do? What can I do? Well, the lady, she did what she could. Fanny Crosby moved to the slums in New York having written 8,000 hymns. We still talk about her today. You know what she did? She just did what she could. I could just go on and name person after person after person that we would remember them from the history of the church and all we can say. You know what they did? They did what they could. Now I'm going to ask you the question. What can you and I do? There are three things. And they're right here in this story. Number one, we can pray. This kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting. One, we can pray. Number two, we can fast. And number three, we can believe. Now, let let me say this to you. You know it, and I'm going to say it again. And I pray to God you'll leave this building with this burning in your heart. The battles we are fighting personally, personal battles we are fighting, whatever those battles are you're fighting in your life, those personal battles are, the battles we fi- are fighting for our family, the battle we're fighting for this nation, the battle we're fighting for traditional marriage, the battle we're fighting for uh, religious freedom. Let me tell you one thing the battle is the Lord's, it's God's battle. He's the only one that can move the mountain, He's the only one that can move it. That's the problem. We thought we could move the mountains. We thought this, that, and the other. None of it worked. And the mountain got bigger. And the mountain got bigger. And finally we came to the place and said, unless God moves the mountain, it'll never be moved. And so, man, we got to realize the battle is the Lord's. You know, if David and Goliath had lived in our day... You know, they'd they, they, they a bet on the on the on the on the match. I wonder who's gonna win this battle. Everybody placed their money on Goliath. Because they looked at the giant. But they forgot that David wasn't going forth in his own armor. He went forth in the armor of God. And David said to that, John, he said, you uncircumcised Philistine, who are you to stand to defy the armies of the living God? We need to say to the devil and all his demons, to the humanists, the secularists and the hedonists, who are you to defy the living God? The battle is the Lord's. But buddy, we got to pray. We got to fast. Well, I don't know, Brother Fred, that's pretty serious. Yeah, it's pretty serious because it's a pretty serious time. Huh. And we got to believe you know the spirit of prayer we need? By the way, in Matthew 6, 5, I want you to take, notice this. Jesus didn't say, if you pray. In Matthew 6, 5, Jesus said, when you pray. Remember that now. He said, he didn't ask if you, you can pray. He didn't say, if you pray. He said, when you pray. I want you to turn over to, to, to Luke 18, 1 through 8. And I want to show you the kind of prayer that will move the hand of God. I want to show you the kind of prayer that will move the heart of God. In Luke 18, verse 1, you know this. Somebody was calling me the other day, and, and I, we were talking about a battle. Uh, this was a lady who worked at a college here in town, and we were talking about a battle. I said, well, we've got to have the spirit of the widow. We've got to pray that way. So we come to Luke 18, verse 1. Now, this is the praying that we've got to do. He spoke a parable to them that people ought always to pray and not to give up. We ought always to pray and not to faint. Well, Lord, I prayed three times and nothing's happened. Hello. People ought always to pray and never to give up, never to faint. Men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. There was a certain certain city, a judge, Who did not fear God nor regard man. Hey, by the way, we may have some judges that don't fear God nor regard man. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. He would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man because this widow troubles me. She troubles me. She will not leave me alone. I'm, she's waiting at my door and when I get to my office. She's at my door when I'm leaving. She leaves messages on my phone. She sends me text messages. She just will not leave me alone. Yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Lest by her continuing coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Shall not, and then said, hear what the unjust judge said. And then he said, shall not God avenge his own elect. If an unjust judge gave in to the cry of a widow, shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him though he bears with them long? Sometimes it seems like it's a long time. I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. He'll do it speedily. You'll just say, well, is God ever going to do it? Just like that, God does it. He said, but here's the problem. When he comes... Is he going to find any faith on the earth that will pray and not give up? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Hey, what are we doing on Wednesday night? We're praying. Praying for lost people. Praying for this nation. We're praying for revival. We're praying for the Supreme Court justices. We're praying for religious freedom. We're praying against the sexual revolution, the wrong kind. We're praying against sin. Uh, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We're praying, praying on Thursday morning, praying on Friday night. The warriors on the wall are praying. You are praying. So, all right, what are we doing? What, we well, we, well, what are you doing at Luke 418, Brother Fred? What are you doing over there? We're doing what we can. Well, what's that? We're praying. Oh, like I, I thought you had some great plan. You know what about that plan? That's God's plan. God's plan says pray. So what can you do? There, everybody in here can do that. Everybody in this room that knows Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God lives in you, you can pray. And you can be thoroughly right with God. Be sure your, your heart is, has no iniquity in it. And as far as you know you're right with God, then you're on praying ground. And your prayers are as powerful as anybody's. And you can Pray. And you say, well, there's a lot I can't do, brother, friend. But i tell you one thing. You can pray, and you need to do what you can. We can pray with the spirit of the widow lady. God, we are going to pray until you avenge your elect. You said you would come speedily. And we're going to believe you for that. Well, the second thing we can do is this. We can fast. By the way, in, in, in Matthew 16, you remember that little boy that had the demon from his childhood? Jesus told the disciples, twice, You don't understand. You got a big demon here you're fighting. And he, that's not going to come out unless you pray and fast, because fasting releases the power of God in an unusual way. And, and, and by the way, in Matthew chapter six Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 through 18, Jesus said, When you fast. Now he didn't say If you fast, in Matthew 6, 5, he said, when you pray. Then Matthew 6, 16, uh, when you fast. So he fully expected the people of God to fast and pray. And so that's something we can do. We can fast. Now, you know, the Spirit leads us when we pray. Now, let me just say this. There's nothing magic about fasting, but it is a, it, it's an act in the spiritual world where you deny yourself for something that is greater. And you say, well, I don't think I could fast, fast three days. Could you pa- fast one meal and spend that meal pr- instead of eating? Pray. Could you deny yourself one meal and pray while you Instead of eating, you'd be praying. Could you do that? Could you uh, fast from 7 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock at night and throughout the day devote that time of fasting and prayer to be in a spirit of prayer the entire day? It's kind of like from sundown, sunup to sundown. Could you fast from 7 to 7? Could you say because of my diabetic condition or something? I mean, I said, well, could you drink juice? You know, I don't know what God would ask you to deny yourself of, but I know one thing. This kind does not go out but by prayer and fasting. There's a stronghold in this nation. There's a strong man over this nation. There's strong men over the cities of this nation. It is a strong man of deception. It is a strong man of lying. It is a strong man of, of fornication. It is a strong man of materialism. It's a strong man of hedonism, the love of pleasure more than love of God. And, you can, and let me tell you what Jesus said. You cannot take the strong man's goods unless you first bind the strong man. And it's like God said to me, This ain't going to come out. This mountain's not going to be moved except by prayer and by fasting. So, you say, well, let me ask you, will you do what you can? Jesus said about this lady. She has done a good work for me. She has done what she could. So I can pray. You can pray, I can fast, you can fast. As a church, we can pray and fast. So we can do that. And I'm going to tell you, things happen when the church prays. Things happen when the church gets serious with God. Hallelujah. The church is powerful when God is present in it. And so there is something we can do. And by the grace of God, we will do it. And it's a personal choice. Here's the third thing we can do. We can believe. You know, Jesus went to Nazareth, his hometown. You thought they would have welcomed him. But you know what it says in Matthew 13, verse 58, Matthew 13, verse 58? It said that he did not do many things there because of their unbelief. Now look at it on the screen. Now... He did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. When I see the tyranny of of the judicial system of America, the unjust judges, the unsaved judges, thank God for saved judges, thank God. But all of this stuff has happened because unsaved judges had made judicial edicts that said... You have to do it when the people did not want to do it. The people had no voice in it, and they tried to do it in Alabama, and we said it violates our constitution, and so we just shut it down. Thank God. But I'm just saying to you, I, I, I mean, you, you, we, we got to believe God that that He can change this. I, I mean, so there are four or five real liberals on the Supreme Court. Well, hey, I mean, God, God can take. It. Well, first of all, He could. He could give them all a dream and a vision. He could do whatever he had to do. Listen, we've got to believe God is able to take a man or woman's heart and turn it in the right direction, right? Don't pray and say, it ain't going to happen. I'm not going to listen to that. Jesus said that kind goes out by prayer and fasting. And if if you believe, if you believe, you can see this to this mountain, be moved over there, and it will be done. I'm telling you, we have got to not say, well, I didn't do many mighty works in Mobile, and I didn't do many mighty works in Luke 4.18, or I didn't do many mighty works in in, in America because the church had unbelief. What we need to pray, oh God, we believe. Help our unbelief. Dear God, we believe. Help our unbelief. So what can you do? Same thing I can do. We can fast. We can pray. And we can believe God. And I want to close with this statement. We can be the man that God, a woman that God was looking for in Ezekiel. And I sought for a man or woman among them who would stand before me on behalf of the land that it would not be destroyed. And the answer was, I found none. Now let's change that. I sought for a man or woman who would stand before me on behalf of the land. And I found some at Luke 4.18. And I found some in Mobile, Alabama. And I found some in Los Angeles, California. And I found some in Phoenix City. I found some in Phoenix. Hey. God's people are all over this nation. That we got. There's the people of God. I'm not talking about organized religion. There's the people of God, and I am telling you. We just need to believe and say, God, we believe. We'll stand before you on behalf of the land that it will not be destroyed. And we believe you, oh God. And we say to that mountain of, of, of liberalism and that mountain of secularism and that mountain of hedonism and that mountain of judicial tyranny and that mountain of, of the le- uh, executive branch that's abusing its power and, the, and the, the legislative branch that seems to be doing nothing. God, we, we don't we, we just say to those mountains, move over. In the name of Jesus, we claim victory in the name of the Son of God. Hallelujah. I'm not discouraged. I'm encouraged. You said, Brother Fred, you're living in an unreal world. No, I'm living in a real world. The spiritual world where God's in control. What can you do? You can fast, you can pray, and you can believe. Praise the name. Fanny Crosby, blind. She said, on my memorial, all I want you to put is she has done what she could. Hundreds of years later, we're still talking about her because she did what she could.